This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now... On Friday, we will be marking the first anniversary of what has come to be known as Putin's War. On the 24th of February last year, the Russians uh, invaded Ukraine in what they called a special military operation. We understand that the idea was it would be swift and brutal and that Kiev would fall quickly and that Zelensky, their president, would be replaced with a puppet government. None of that happened. What we have seen in the last 12 months has been barbaric and indeed it has arguably changed the geopolitical power struggle and for the worst in that it is now more dangerous. It is time, I think, to assess the toll Putin's war has taken on Ukraine, Europe and the United States and indeed maybe Russia itself. And we're joined to do that by one of Britain's most distinguished journalists and authors. Ian Williams is a journalist and an author. He was a foreign correspondent for Channel 4 News and NBC in Russia and Asia, reporting from all across China. He's covered conflicts in the Baltics, the Middle East and Ukraine and won an Emmy and BAFTA awards for his discovery and reporting on the Serb detention camps during the war in Bosnia. His most recent book, is the fire of the dragon, China's new Cold War. Ian, you're very welcome to the stand. This is territory you know very well. My first question is about your assessment of how the, the last 12 months has changed the global map, the geopolitical relationships, and whether, as some people believe, and I'd be among them, the last 12 months has made things very dangerous. I think it's changed the geopolitical map enormously um, and in many different and in many different and, and, and dangerous ways. I recall before the, the invasion by Putin, um, the Americans coined the phrase, the, the, uh, the, the, the battle between democracies and autocracies. Yes. And I think a lot of people looked at that and thought, well, is that sort of uh, a little bit over the top? But I think the way things have panned out 
over the last 12 months with the explicit backing by Iran, weapons from North Korea, uh, for, for Russia and also um, the backing of, of China. I think there's been a lot of wishful thinking that China would somehow uh, be an honest broker and there's been a lot of naive stuff written about China somehow trying to be neutral. I, I don't accept that. I think that you know Xi is being cautious, but, he, but uh, he's thrown his hand in with Putin. The two think too similarly. Um, I think the world has become more dangerous in some respects, but it's also been a wake-up call. Uh, I think Russia went into Ukraine because they believed uh, the West would not respond, that they could get away with it, and, yes. and clearly they haven't. There's been an enormous amount of solidarity, which has surprised many people um, among uh, the Western allies, uh, both in the way that they've supported and supplied weapons to Ukraine and also in the sanctions against Russia, although the effectiveness, of course, is, an, is another debate. And I think there's been more self-awareness among liberal democracies uh, about their own values, about their own need to stand together. Um, and I think in many ways, yes, it's more dangerous, but it's also been more clarifying in, in a sense as well. Yes. Yes, and uh, President Biden went to Ukraine, uh, to Kyiv yesterday. It was remarkable. He's in Poland today. And also uh, in on a tour of Europe is Wang Yi, who is Xi Jinping's top foreign policy advisor appointed this month. He's been uh, around. He was at the uh, conference in Munich at the weekend. He's going to see... Putin in Moscow this week as the final stop on an eight-day European tour. The question of China's positioning on all of this, it causes us to reassess. If we remember Angela Merkel's 16 years in power, one of her key foreign policy objectives was to have a warm relationship with China to trade with China and to believe that through trading with China and incidentally uh, setting up the gas pipeline with Russia, there would be a thaw in these old Cold War relations and things would get better because everyone was benefiting mutually. That notion, does it still exist? I, I think it's dead. The, the, yeah. the German expression was change through trade. Uh, and I think there was a view, a lot of it was self-serving, especially among businesses, but there was a sense that you engage, you trade, you intertwine your economies as Europe and, and did with Russia as the world has done with China. And somehow by entangling your your economies, your businesses, that this can be a positive thing for the future because it somehow uh, aids the process of opening up and liberalization in authoritarian states. It lessens the prospect of conflict because the two sides have too much to lose by going to blows. But I, I think that that, has, that that notion is largely dead. I think the argument has shifted now to one of a focus on dangerous dependencies, um, yes. that it's no longer, it's not a great idea to be dependent on a tyrant, whether that tyrant is in Moscow, in China, or in Saudi Arabia. 
uh, it's, this isn't an argument for completely stopping trade. That's unrealistic, but it is an argument for looking very closely at the nature of the economic dependencies that you're creating. And of course, in the, in the Russian sense, that was hydrocarbons and Europe was most vulnerable and, and Germany in particular, uh, because of what's now regarded as an incredible naivety. And I think you have seen and you are seeing a similar naivety towards China. Uh, there is now a good chance of quite a significant break with China. Uh, the severity of that break is is debatable and how and where it comes about, whether it's over Taiwan or um, arms supplies or other support by China to Russia. But suddenly, a lot of companies, a lot of industries, a lot of vital technologies, a lot of supply chains look horribly and dangerously exposed to China and would be very badly damaged, very susceptible uh, if there were sanctions, if there were a, a, a break uh, in relations with Beijing. Now, there are a couple of things that appear particularly worrying, Ian. One is the possibility that uh, although there has been unity in the West, that it may not last, that economically and in terms of just enduring the sacrifices that have to be made. Some countries in Europe may peel off. I'm thinking of Hungary, for example, but and not them alone. I think the Netherlands are sort of beginning to wonder. That's one danger. The other danger appears to be in the United States, where a Republican president or indeed, as we now have, a House of Representatives where the Republicans have a majority, will get fed up. And noises have been coming out of the United States in particular, but also in Europe, that, you know, why are we doing this? How long can we keep it up? How much is it going to cost? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that more and more. I think Hungary is a special case because Orban has a, yes. a close relationship with um, Putin. I mean, they're kind of yes. cut from the same cloth in many respects. And Hungary has always been a bit of an outlier when it comes to, to sanctions or other criticism of Moscow. Um, but you are right. And I think this very much plays into the, the, the hands of Moscow and Beijing, because there was an initial shock that the sanctions, the unity um, early on, but I think Moscow is gambling on that unity fraying and yes. people losing patience, people getting worried about the cost, um, people buying into the propaganda that the real uh, cause, the real problem, as the Chinese would say, is the West pouring fuel on the fire, you know, rather forgetting about who created and started that fire. Um, and uh, I think that there is a danger um, I don't see it as an immediate danger because I think there is a quite solid public support um, for Ukraine and for continuing to support Ukraine financially and through through weapons. But certainly there is a wing of the Republican Party in the States. And of course, the States is the, the most important supporter of Ukraine uh, that is becoming more skeptical about the, the scale of support. I think driven more by the cost rather than any sort of moral compunction. Um, but it is, it is something which I think that the Chinese and the Russians are both going to play to. And, 
in terms of the and it's very well coordinated the sort of disinformation that you're you're getting from from Russia and China through their own international media outlets they will increasingly play to that gallery um, of of cost and sustainability and they are banking on that unity fraying yeah and the other striking thing really is how many other nations saudi arabia for example iran south africa which we did and please, idiots like me, or maybe not idiots, but we, in 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 our well-meaning way, fought apartheid and everything it stood for, and defeated it. Actually, it was the United States, really, with economic sanctions, that ultimately did the the final deed. But they they're on the side of Russia and it China. Is, uh, it is extraordinary. I, I think South Africa. Uh, it's it's a shock, but in some ways it's not because the, the old relationship between there is a sort of starry-eyed view about the old Soviet Union in parts of Africa, um, who, who heavily bought into the sort of anti-imperialist agenda uh, of of the Soviet era, which which still lingers in some of yes. the old the older ruling parties down there and. You know, South Africa is quite shocking in that respect because in other ways it has changed dramatically since apartheid. And this is very much a sort of throwback to that. China's interesting, of course, because they wield enormous political influence in in, in poorer countries off the back of the substantial money they're pouring in. But Can of you course, explain to us, Ian, sorry to interrupt you, to our listeners and to me indeed, the Belt and Road Project? which is a key foreign policy issue for China. It is. It, I mean, uh, it, or is it? It's a vague catch-all, um, which an umbrella term for all manner of different things that China does internationally and, and in terms of its foreign policy agenda. I mean, it started out as uh, the, the, the new Silk Road by road and by sea, and then it rapidly uh, acquired uh, an, everything from an Arctic Silk Road to a digital Silk Road. Uh, so many things have almost become meaningless. But I think at its core, it is an enormous project um, to pump money and, and to bless particularly poorer countries with China-built ports and roads and railways and, and other infrastructure. But I would see it more as an instrument of Chinese influence building, an instrument yes. of Chinese foreign policy, an instrument by which China is seeking to impose its own values, its own political ideas, um, its own interests on the world. Um, it's an enormous project, and it has run into all sorts of issues, uh, particularly of late, with um, debt traps, uh, by which I mean countries are so heavily indebted to China yes. um, that it impedes their, their independence, their ability to talk out on issues which are, are contrary to Chinese interests, everything from Hong Kong to Xinjiang to, yes, Ukraine. Um, and China is now floating. Uh, they don't talk so much about the Belt and Road anymore. They now talk about the Global Development Initiative, the Global Security right. Initiative. These are the latest slogans to come off the lips of Xi and Wang Yi, uh, which, from what I can make out, are pretty empty slogans. Um, like much of uh, of like this supposed peace 
uh, initiative they they've been floating over ukraine they tend to be very very rich in platitudes and then when you dig down a little bit they mean precisely nothing or they're so ridden with contradictions um for instance as wang yi saying that he that Moscow, that, that beijing has a peace proposal up its sleeve for ukraine that will somehow respect the notion of sovereignty and the integrity of of borders uh but also observe or, or, or respect Russia's, quote, legitimate security interests. Now, I'm not quite sure how you would square those two sides of any sort of peace initiative. You have a country which invades its neighbor, driven by some almost messianic uh, civilizational vision of, of, of Putin, uh, a flagrant violation of sovereignty. Um, you know, and I, I think with China, there's a lot of platitudes, there's a lot of empty, a lot of hollow talk, and but it all it all comes down to Beijing promoting, pushing its own interests. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, in your book, The Fire of the Dragon, China's New Cold War, this current conflict and this period now of this week, one year in, our reassessment of everything, is there a possibility that this could become a hot war? It has been said by Joe Biden and by many commentators, uh, and one has to say 
despite our reservation, my personal reservations and many others about Boris Johnson, the British were first in with support and weapons to help Ukraine. Um, so uh, on that on that score, Boris is clean. But the the point is: there a danger that this can divide the world again and can lead inadvertently to a nuclear event? I'd like to think no. I like to think that what we're seeing is carefully calibrated and carefully thought through. But you can never say never. And I think one of the dangers which Anthony Blinken has recognized with his warnings to China at the weekend is if China does begin to supply uh, arms uh, to to Russia, then that is very much a, a game-changing event. You can argue that uh, Moscow, that Beijing is effectively underwriting Putin's war anyway, yes. um, in terms of trade, in terms of stepping up the purchase of his uh, oil, his gas, his agricultural goods, um, and China is 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 going very sailing very close to the line because they're also selling a lot of dual-use technology, one example being consumer drones, which the Russians are using for reconnaissance purposes. So China is, and also helping Russia evade the the, the international financial sanctions by accepting payments in in renminbi, uh, helping Russia sidestep the dollar economy. So there are lots of ways in which China, China is underwriting Putin's war. But so far, they've been cautious about uh, overly breaking sanctions uh, by supplying weapons um, or by supplying other equipment that, that might be deemed to be helping helping the military more overtly. But if, if China was to change that stand, that stance, then yeah, the, that opens up all sorts of, of, of dangerous possibilities uh, in, in terms of the divisions that you describe. Let me ask you about the following assertion. Putin cannot win this conflict. It has been made many times by many people. I think it is Joe Biden's uh, position and many others have said he cannot get away with invading a a neighboring country and occupying it. For one thing, it would encourage China in relation to Taiwan, which is very, as I'm sure you know better than most, a very sort of dangerous and difficult situation already. Can Putin be allowed to emerge victorious from this conflict? I don't think any way he can. And I I think that you have seen some naive voices uh, suggesting that an accommodation can be reached with Putin, that uh, there is something short of a full withdrawal from Ukraine, that, that they will reach a point in the conflict where they, the two sides need to, to, to talk. But I don't see that as being any time soon. And I think there has been a growing realization, particularly in Europe, which is, which is interesting, in that it is more dangerous to allow Putin to emerge from this with anything which he can describe as victory, yes. because that that emboldens China over Taiwan, that potentially endangers the Baltic states, East European states to Russian subversion. 
And I think there's a realization that this isn't just about who wins in Ukraine. It's about what happens afterwards. It's about how Russia behaves if it's seen in any way to have got away with this aggression and, and indeed how other, um, tyrannies, other authoritarian countries with imperial designs, yes. uh, such as China on Taiwan, uh, would interpret any sense of, of weakness from the Western allies. There's one other issue that relates centrally, I think, to what we've just talked about, a possibility that a Republican president in 2024 might be isolationist. That, that that growing mood of isolationism in the United States of America, which Biden, who is 80 years of age, he's from another era, he's from he's old school. But would you, first of all, would you agree that isolationism, if, if Trump had been president, for example, God only knows what would have happened? I think that is a danger, but you could equally argue that given how partisan U.S. politics is at the moment, given how few issues there are that actually uh, unifies uh, the political spectrum, it is incredible that that Ukraine has actually been a unifying factor in, yes. in, in U.S. politics. And yes, there are voices, actually some on the, the, the left of the Democrats, but notably on the isolationist wing of the Republicans who are Ukraine support skeptics. I think in the short term, I don't see that as a danger to uh, the overall U.S. stance on supporting Ukraine. But clearly, it's it's you know it's a fear. We've seen it. We it's not that many not long ago, not, not that long ago that we had uh, a Trump presidency. He's still there. He's still in the equation. Um, there are those who are seeking to emu to emulate his style. Uh, isolationism in Washington is is a danger, but. I guess I would also argue that so far Ukraine has been a, a unifying force in U.S. politics. You know, there's some would say that uh, having uh, an easily identifiable, identifiable foreign foe, uh, whether that be in terms of uh, Russia or increasingly China, yes. um, helps solidify politics within Washington. Just a couple of final questions, Ian. One of them is about the possibility or the feasibility of the United States imposing sanctions that might hurt China badly economically and, as it were, punishing them for their support of Russia in this conflict. Does the U.S. have that possibility or is it, in terms of economics, a mutually assured destruction if they get too heavy with each other? Uh, I, th I mean, you're already seeing uh, a tech war being fought. Um, yes. One description, chips being one example, with the U.S. trying to deny China access to advanced chips and the equipment and kit uh, to to manufacture them. Uh, there's been there are ideas floating around in Beijing to try and restrict the export from China of solar energy related commodities and materials, which could potentially be very damaging to, to Western solar ambitions. So this is already being played out. But I think some sort of sanctions uh, will be inevitable if China supports Russia militarily. 
uh, or crosses that red line as it's being described in Europe and the US. Yes. Um, would I see that as mutually assured destruction? Certainly there would be damage on both sides, secondary sanctions against Chinese companies. Um, the US, of course, controls, largely controls the international finance system through the dollar. Yes. Uh, but I think it will, it, it is, it, there is the danger that it will expose the, the, the sheer number of dependencies that have been built up by Western economies, by Western companies in their supply chains, uh, towards China and would probably accelerate the process of, uh, of, of decoupling, which is already underway and diversification of, of supply chains. But I think that's, that sanctions uh, would be inevitable if China does go down that road of overtly supporting Russia militarily. Okay, and with all your vast experience of wars and indeed of Russia and China, particularly, and the Middle East and indeed the Balkans, do you see, have you got an idea in your mind how this ends? That's a good question, and... I suppose a lot of it is tied up with how you would see the strength of Putin's position in 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 Russia. Yes, I mean the speech he gave this week uh, was pretty hysteric in terms of the language he was using, in terms of the almost messianic visions he had. Yes, and, and one of the dangers, of course, is you get rid of Putin and and whatever replaces him is an even more rabid nationalist. Yes. Um, I think that it only, we only get into an end game when Russia has been sufficiently pushed back that, that it forces Moscow to sue for some sort of deal which is acceptable to Ukraine, uh, which inevitably means the, the, uh, getting out of the vast majority, if not all of, of Ukrainian territory. Uh, I don't see but until that's achieved, there is, there is room for a negotiated settlement, which, which would, in its effect and in its knock-ons, be far more damaging um, from theatres from Taiwan to the Baltics. Yes, and just to add a rider to that question, Zelensky is pushing and pushing and has done so to great effect. He's led his people to great effect. He wants fighter jets now, and who knows what he'll stop wanting. Is there a danger that his ambitions for his country, legitimate though they may be, will be too much for the West, and there may be uh, a great falling out? I think all wars end with a negotiated settlement at some point. And when the Ukraine war reaches that point, clearly those who've been supporting Ukraine financially and with weapons will, will, will have a say. And I think that's inevitable, even, even if we accept that, uh, it is Zelensky who calls the shots and says when he feels it's right to make that call. Um, and I think it's probably a, I think it's inevitable at some point that the wider international uh, concerns play a part in whatever settlements yes. come along. But I don't see that we've reached that point yet. And we might be here uh, on the 24th of <laughs> February next year. Uh, we're very grateful to you, Ian, uh, for joining us. 
That's Ian Williams. His book, Fire of the Dragon, China's New Cold War, is fascinating, and his work is very, very distinguished indeed. Uh, and we're very grateful to Ian Williams for joining us, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.